Welcome to Cherry Beckert's podcast on the impact of GASB 87 on airports. I'm Greg Miller, the leader of Cherry Beckert's government transportation team, and joining me is Alex Wiley, an advisor senior manager in Cherry Beckert's risk and accounting advisory services. Thank you, Greg, and look forward to having this podcast with you. As, as Greg noted today, you know, my, my name is Alex Wiley, senior manager. I lead our GASB 87 implementation group within Cherry Beckert. Yeah, so back in June of 17, the GASB issued a new single lease reporting model for reporting lease arrangements. And GASB 95 postponed the effects of GASB 87 implementation for 18 months. Now we're finally arrived at that point of implementation. So today we're going to be going to discuss GASB 87's impact on airports. So Alex, as a quick refresher, what is a lease and how does GASB 87 require airports to report their lease arrangements as the lessee as well as the lessor? Greg, thanks for starting me off with a softball question. Uh, just for the group, a, a lease is a contract that conveys control of the right to use another entity's non-financial asset as a specif specified in the contract for a period of time in an exchange or exchange-like type transaction. For those airports that are lessees, they must report a liability for the contract with a corresponding intangible right of use asset indicating their ability to use that leased item. And similar for an, air, for an airport that's a lessor, they must report a receivable for their future lease revenue and a corresponding deferred inflows resources. Yeah, so unlike most other governmental entities, which will primarily be impacted from the lessee reporting requirements, airports will much more significantly be impacted by the lessor reporting requirements. So what are some of the nuances in this pronouncement that might impact our airports? That's a good point, Greg. Uh, paragraph 42 and 43 of GASB 87 will hopefully have a positive impact to our airport authorities. Those paragraphs discuss what we call regulated leases, and, and those regulated leases are, are those that are exempt from certain provisions on GASB 87. To be a regulated lease and be exempt, those leases must be subject to external laws, regulations, or legal rulings, and they must meet certain criteria under paragraph 43. Those criteria are rates cannot exceed a reasonable amount. Rates should be similar to the lessee that are that are in a similar situated lease. And then lastly, a lessor cannot deny a potential lessee the right to enter into similar type leases for similar facilities. In fact, the FAA has issued a policy statement on aeronautical uses of airports that meet all three of those requirements. So in other words, if an airport has a lease associated with the activity directly related to the operation of an aircraft, those leases are considered exempt from reporting a lease receivable and a deferred outflow resources within their financial statements. It's important to note here that that does not mean the airport is exempt from implementing GAS 87. What it does mean is that there are certain leases that the airport is party to that could be exempt from provisions of GAS 87. Yeah, and, and with the various AIP statutes and grant assurances, rate and charges policies that, that we're all used to working with from DOT and FAA, it, it makes sense that the leases to provide services involving the operation of aircrafts uh, or flight support directly related to aircraft operations could be considered regulated leases. Are there any exceptions to this exception? You know how Gasby always likes to throw in the exception to the exception. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm thinking examples here where activities might be related to aircraft operations, but don't necessarily fall under the definition of a regulated lease. Maybe reservation centers or ticket counters, those type of items. That's a very good question, Aaron. You know, you're, you're right about gas exceptions to the exception. So aeronautical leases are not limited to just movement of passengers. So we think about movement of passengers through an airport, 
but also can include moving a baggage, moving a mail, moving a cargo through an airport. So a regulated lease could also include passenger airline leases, FBO leases, hangars, cargo facilities, you're taxiing through the actual lease airport itself, and so forth. And those, and within those uh, items and those leases, there also can be the operations related to ticket counters, baggage facilities, people moving throughout the airport, various cargo sorting and storage facilities. Examples of what not would be what would not be included services that do not need to be physically located at an airport. Those could be your reservation centers, your headquarters office, your, your, even your flight kitchens located in an airport. These are services that can be provided to an air to actually to an airport authority offsite, offsite from the airport property. Those leases would not conform to the provisions of GAS 87 since they would not meet the criteria to be considered certain regulated leases. All right, so for activities that are directly related to the movement of passengers, baggage, mail and cargo that need to be located on an airport, we won't have to recognize the lease receivable or that deferred inflow associated with those leases. Are there any specific disclosure requirements associated with these aeronautical leases? That's right, Eric. So for any regulated leases, including aeronautical leases, you know, the pronouncement does require certain disclosure requirements. Uh, this list is not all inclusive, but just to give you a good, good thought to it. There's a general description of the uh, of its agreement. That's a requirement. The extent to which the capital assets are subject to preferential or exclusive use by a counterparty, that's required to be disclosed as well. Uh, in addition to that, the total amount of inflows of resources, for example, the least receivable the interest revenue, that information is required to be disclosed in the footnotes. Uh, the usual suspect that we all know about, the schedule of expected future minimum payments. That's always a requirement within the disclosures. And then last the last two here, the amount of inflows and resources recognized in the reporting period relates to variable payments. Again, that's going to be required to be disclosed. And then lastly is the existence, terms, and conditions of any options associated with the lease by the lessee. Yeah, so so that kind of covers our, our regulated leases, and um, even though we don't have to record them uh, on the face of the financial statements, there's always some sort of disclosure requirements involved. So outside of the regulated leases, uh, how should airports be reporting other leases, such as terminal concessions, ground transportation, parking, or, or, or rental car operations? Good question. So although those leases are aviation-related uses, they're not directly related to the aircraft operation, and as such, would be what we call good examples of non-aeronautical leases that will be subject to the provisions of GASB 87 with the recognition of your lease receivable and a corresponding deferred inflow of resources. So like, like any other leases that are so within the provisions of 87, the receivable will be reflected as the present value of a lease payments to be received on a term of the lease uh, with a corresponding deferred inflows that reflect the receivable plus any payments made before the commencement date. Uh, the airport will also continue to reflect the underlying asset of that associated release on the statement of that positions. On the statement of changes, an airport will recognize the interest revenue and lease receivable and revenue from the deferred inflows. And again, in the notes, like we similarly noted earlier, there should be a description of the leasing arrangement within the notes of the financial statements, as well as the total revenue recognized from those leases. Greg, that's a good point. Let, you know, you've asked me several questions. Let me ask you, Greg. With the changes in how an airport will present their leases within the act for both as the lessee and lessor, what are some of the potential impacts to reporting outside of the financial statements? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So uh, GASB always has an impact on the financial statements, the ex, that uh, external reporting, 
But as with anything in airport finance, there's also two other realms that finance always has to work with uh, that get affected by these GASB implementations. And, and those namely would be bond disclosures and those rates and charges. So if history gives us any kind of insight into how what the impacts might be for 87, we can kind of look back and see how GASB 68 and GASB 75, which dealt with pensions and OPEB liabilities, uh, and, and kind of used those impacts to, to anticipate the impact of 87 on those areas. Got it. And what what will impact what impact will the lesser of the reporting have on the bond disclosures or rates or charges? Mm -hmm. Sure. So from the lessor perspective, the real impact is the geography of where the uh, historical rental revenues will be classified in the statement of changes. Historically, leases have been reported entirely as operating revenue, but under GASB 87, a portion of that rental revenue will be attributed to interest income, and as such, that would be a non-operating revenue. And that would suggest a decrease in pledged uh, revenues for bond payments and, and kind of begs the question whether that interest income can be excluded from airline credits under the uh, the rates and charges uh, uh, pers uh, perspective. Um, starting with that that bond document piece, bond documents will typically define what is included or what's excluded from revenue, and that'll vary from deal to deal. However, most definitions are broad enough that all monies received and earned would be classified uh, as pledged revenue. So whether that technically sits in non-operating revenue or not, uh, it, it could still be included in that calculation of pledged revenue. Uh, I, I would recommend that you consult with your bond counsel uh, to get the actual legal opinion uh, on your specific bonds. As I mentioned, each one of those deals is a little different, so you want to make sure you've got the, the right legal coverage within those definitions. Uh, but including non-operating revenues typically would increase the security to the bondholder. So uh, in, in a broad general statement that it should be sufficient uh, to include uh, as part of pledge revenue. To go back to the rates and charges pieces, that kind of depends on whether uh, you're a residual or a compensatory methodology. Uh, for compensatory, uh, concession revenues are typically included in that rate calculation, so they would be very limited impact if there's any impact on that. Uh, on the residual side, it goes back to that bond document that we just talked about. If the interest income is picked up as a revenue, then we'd most likely have a reduction uh, to those airline requirements. No, that's that's perfect there, Greg. You know, how about on the lessee side? Yeah, again, that impact primarily stems from where the expenses are classified within the statement of changes, whether they're operating or they're non-operating expenses. Just like interest revenue on the lessor side, lessees will now have a portion of run expense that's attributed to interest expense. So that's a non-operating expense. Although airlines tend to like imputed interest just as much as they like depreciation, which isn't much, uh, the definition of O&M typically includes all expenses incurred to operate and maintain the airport. And sometimes that definition even cites gap as how an expense is determined. And as such, there shouldn't be any issues to recover these costs from an airline. They, they might just fall down in one of those lower buckets and the other obligations, um, but there shouldn't be a significant issue around those. Got it. That's, that's good information. I'm actually curious to see how GASB 87 impacts internal reporting as well as those non-GAAP external reporting. As you know, Greg, 
most of this information has always been included in the notes of the financial statements. So rating agencies should be aware of the existence of where this lease information is located. You know, in, in conversations, it sounds like most internal reports, industry reports, even feasibility studies might continue using the old capital operating leases methodologies, would you say? But from an FAA perspective, it seems the new GAS 87 information is going to be reported within the CACs, which make may make some consistency issues arise. Yeah, that, that's actually a great point, as uh, those consistency issues might make it a little more difficult to compare not only our internal KPIs, but also uh, impact some benchmarking that we might do against our peers. Uh, and, and kind of speaking of reporting, from your perspective, what tools or software uh, have you been seeing airports use to kind of track their leases uh, in general lease reporting requirements? So uh, with a bunch of leases from a reporting perspective, it's always nice to have a software system, but is there a kind of a threshold of when I need to get a software system or I don't need to uh, get a software system to track this stuff? And that's a very good question, Greg. A lot of my clients are asking me a question every day. Uh, you know, I, I would say you know, there are several leasing software providers out there to choose from uh, that has the functionality of Gatsby 87, uh, from lease query to visual lease to lease crunch. Uh, but what I'm seeing in practice uh, for most airport authorities, at least, most have really been selecting DebtBook because DebtBook specializes in what I call specializes in focus in governmental county and really can handle those regulated leases. Uh, far as threshold, uh, the leasing software is really scaled down the software from a cost perspective. In other words, for those client, for our non-public governmental clients, the cost of acquiring this software has really become feasible. I tell a lot of my clients, you know, as, as few as five leases, you want to start thinking about using a software because it's really cost effective for you. Yeah, and that kind of makes a lot of sense with, with everything being priced per lease uh, that if you have five leases uh, or more, then you probably just want to track it because uh, uh, track it within a software system rather than an Excel file, because then you've got all those extra risks of what happened to that Excel file. Did it get corrupt? Did the formula error go wrong? So That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, Alex. I, I appreciate you joining us today and sharing your insights on how GASB 87 will impact our airports. Cherry Becker's Government Service website is also a great resource for other thought leadership related to GASB 87, as well as other future accounting pronouncements. It also provides a lease accounting implement implementation tool for reference while you're starting to implement this new standard. As a quick disclaimer, Cherry Becker is not providing accounting, financial reporting, or tax advice on this podcast, so please consult with your accounting and tax advisors or Cherry Becker for more guidance. If you want more information on GASB 87 or any other topic that might impact your airport, visit our Cherry Becker website at cbh.com. Thanks for joining us.